It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser, the day I was born It's American Loser Halloween edition, folks. It's American Loser. <laughs> That's right. If you hear a uh, some sort of a, an organ playing in the background, it's just Jeffrey Tubin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, man. Uh, my name's KP Burke. I'm the host of American Loser. This is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. With me, as always, my Delph of a dad, Lawrence Patrick. How are you, sir? Hey, happy Halloween almost. We're, we're doing great. We're doing great. We're getting closer, my friend. And, uh, of course, behind the ones and twos, you already heard the, the melodic tones of one big kahuna in the building. It's Count Kahuna for the, <laughs> Count <'cause> kahuna. <laughs> for the season. Nevermore. <laughs> so, but how are you guys doing? We're good, man. We're good. We got, of course, we're at a shared universe podcast studio in Homedale, New Jersey at the Bell Labs. What's Eaton Bell Town? Bell Works. That's right. Bell what works. is Eaton Town? Bell Works. You know it. So, uh, very excited to be here today. A lot of chaos getting this one out. So, we're putting this out a little bit late here, but it'll be out uh, tonight. I'm excited about that part. And uh, it's a little early for Halloween, but it's because we're a history show. We got to give the people what they want. The Patreon is going to have a fantastic one. And uh, you pointed this out to me, Dad. Uh, our Patreon is going to be about a, a certain founding father. Absolutely. He was never the president, but he was more famous than the guy who was the president. <laughs> That's right. And more either hated or loved. But... Yes. Considered the true man of the revolution. Uh, we're going to enjoy an Oktoberfest with good Mr. Sam Adams next uh, week here <laughs> on the show. There you go. There you go. We're going to do that one right, man. Count Kahuna approves. That's yeah, <laughs> you know, this, is not, this is not early for Halloween. If you, any retail store that you go into, they're already putting up Christmas decorations. So uh, I don't think we're early for Halloween. Yeah, I actually- We are in the month of Halloween. October, after all. I drove past the uh, the old studio in Eatontown. Did you know that it's a Spirit of Halloween store now? <laughs> <laughs> yep, Ming still runs that one, too. There you go. But, now, very excited to have everybody here today. We're going to bang out. We got uh, some creepy, creepy ghost stories to tell here real quick. I rounded up a couple of ones that I think... Um, well, let me first and foremost just say this. Uh, it was Saturday night, and uh, I was staying down in, uh, in, in the new house that... Uh, my mother and father bought that has no furniture in it. We're not really familiar with it yet. Very quiet, secluded yeah. place. Dead end street. Dead end street. I'm staying down there because the next day I was going to be working uh, in the area and it just made more sense to stay down there. So my internet's not really working on my phone. Uh, I'm sitting there with a laptop, just the light of the laptop, you know, lighting me in this dark kitchen. It was a dark and stormy night. And a storm does come through, sir. <laughs> And uh, maybe that's not the best time to be trying to write down and collect some of the most uh, horrifying ghost stories in American history. But that's what I did. So now we got a couple of good ones here for you. But LP, you found something very interesting because, of course, we had to do a little bit of diligent research. We were checking out stuff like uh, haunted places in America or the most unsettling places in America. And I think um, of the list that we found, I sent you a couple. Yeah, we're on a short list here of uh, spooky places, no doubt. Well, um, I was thinking about it earlier. Uh, Kuhn has been misbehaving lately. And uh, 
I was thinking there might be a good way to. <laughs> we got a visual on that one. He, he gave me the face already. No, uh, Kuna, there's a procedure now that we can have done that we actually found out about today. Oh, yeah. Help um, you out. It'll, it'll help you out. It'll settle your nerves a little bit. I am happy with how big it is, okay? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with it? Oh, you're not talking about it. Okay. Sorry. Well, Continue. we're in a different procedure. Yeah, it's a little it's a little tiny procedure. A doctor uh, is involved with it. And again, when a doctor is prescribing it, it's absolutely the right thing to do. So, uh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one of the last things you want to hear is the doctor will see you now. Oh, no. Wait, are we talking about what I think we're talking about? Well, we'll uh, find well, out. I'll tell you what. Does it involve a hammer and an ice pick? Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I know what we're talking about. But it's to make you better. <laughs> That's right. We're tired. Don't worry. It's not going to be an entire episode just on that. But uh, Lawrence Patrick Burke, we find a very haunted place. You want to enlighten us? Yeah, well, there is, uh, as you said, Kev, there's a lot of places uh, around the world and certainly around our, our beloved United States that are believed to be haunted. But uh, this particular place is a medical facility or at one time was a medical facility. And it was going to make people better. Um, it's the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Now, what kind of people can wind up there? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about that also, that uh, it might not necessarily be your out-and-out loony, that uh, there was a lot of people that were put into that facility um, without their <laughs> permission, if you will, um, and uh, for various reasons. That uh, it could be that somebody within the family just wanted to get you out of the house and <laughs> we'll put you in a hospital instead. But uh, this Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, uh, which later became known as the Western State Hospital, um, this was uh, this was cutting edge for for the times back in the day. Um, this was to be a whole new mode to uh, to better treat um, people with some mental inefficiencies or some mental problems. It was a mental health so the, facility. The great Doug Stanhope has an amazing bit about this where he calls it uh, – it's been dubbed – someone from Harvard called it the uh, uh, euphemism treadmill, that the words that we are currently using to describe – uh, you know, mentally ill people or, or any sort of uh, uh, insufficient faculties that people might have. Most of the words that are have a negative connotation to them are actually born out of sensitivity originally. Right. So you will see stuff for, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of words out there that people would consider offensive today. But back then that was used as the polite political correct. That was way the, to say yeah, this. that was the correct terminology for the day rather than just calling them a loony. Well, we'll <laughs> give them a different a different handle, exactly. a different name. But if you want to uh, know more about that bit, check it out. It's Doug Stanhope Euphemism Treadmill. It's one of the, the funniest fun things ever. The police ruin everything. Yeah, that's right. Well, anyhow, this uh, place was uh, designed um, under the idea that it was going to be under the Kirkbride plan. Now, the Kirkbride plan was a system of mental asylum designs that was advocated by a noted uh, psychiatrist at the time, uh, Mr. Thomas uh, Kirkbride, and. He was of the opinion that if we're going to put people into a mental facility and try to help them with their mental health issues, that it should be bright and airy, uh, high ceilings, um, put them into their own private uh, quarters, if you will, with uh, lots of windows so you have lots of daylight, lots of fresh oh, air. Bad. Um, and it sounded pretty good. Now, um, this was going back to the to the era of you know, 1864. So we're really in, in the height of uh, the Civil War. Uh, actually, it became um, the um, 
uh, state hospital for West Virginia because, again, at the Times, 1864, that's when West Virginia as a state first came into being because West Virginia used to be part of Virginia, but it was the Civil War that kind of split that off. So, uh, it, But again, it, this was a, a cutting edge type of a thing that this whole thing um, was to be um, a very nice place, a not natural light, air circulation were crucial to the well-being of the, uh, of the patients. Um, and there were various architectural styles, but um, one of the things was that there was a number or common to all these various architectural styles because this Kirkbride um, building plan, if you will, was used throughout the United States. It just wasn't at the uh, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. This was uh, throughout the United States. But the first hospital designed under the Kirkbride plan was – Oh, no. Drum roll, please. Is it – is it? Is it is. Uh, Jersey Connection, Trenton State Hospital in Trenton, New Jersey, constructed in 1848. So I mean, it was- that, was, that was our first, uh, first hospital designed under this Kirkbride plan. And again, this wasn't um, the first and only. This went throughout the United States that this was uh, very much adapted by a lot of different uh, state facilities um, throughout the United States. Um, and actually, um, at least 30 of the original Kirkbride buildings have now been given a National Registry of Historic Places throughout the United States. So this was, this was uh, cutting edge, noteworthy type stuff that, that you know, we're making, we're making positive strides rather than locking somebody away in a basement under, under lock and key <laughs> and with, you know, chains around them because they have some mental health issues. Now, finally, for the first time, we're trying to treat these people rather As, uh, than just Neil lock Young them, said, uh, rack, rather the, than lock the, them away. Yeah, the kinder, gentler machine gun hand. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Is the Trenton one still? Is it still standing? Uh, it is. It is the, the uh, College Trenton, of New Jersey. The oh, Trenton. Uh, the Trenton Psychiatric Hospital. Um, really, there was uh, another uh, medical pioneer, uh, Miss Dorothea Dix, who was very much instrumental within the state of New Jersey to bring this mental health health hospital uh, about. Um, unfortunately, it started to get some some um, bad raps a little bit later on. Uh, again, this was started in the, the, the Jersey hospital was started in 1848. And it's got some spooky, <laughs> spookiness about it as well. What could be creepy about a place where, uh, you know, procedures like this were done? Well, in 1907, there was a, a Dr. Henry Cotton who became the medical director for the Trenton Psychiatric Hospital. And one of his beliefs, and again, this is all cutting edge now. This is all based on, uh, you know, doctor's opinion, uh, believing that infections were the key to mental illness. And he had his staff remove teeth of and various other body parts that might become infected from the hospital's patients. So if you had a toothache, yank that sucker. If you don't have a toothache, but it might look like it might become infected, Yank that sucker. Whatever, whatever party part you might suspect could be infectious, cut it off or yank it out. So uh, um, Cotton's legacy of hundreds of fatalities and thousands of maimed and mutilated patients did not end with his leaving Trenton in 1930. Uh, 
or his death in 1933. In fact, the removal of patients' teeth at the Trenton Asylum, yeah, that was still the norm until the 1960s. Holy shit. So, <laughs> once you get a medical opinion going and, you know, things get a little uh, ahead of steam going, it, it's hard to, uh, you know, to, to, change that, to change that opinion. Meanwhile, back at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, there was another uh, gentleman uh, who um, – who came into national and worldwide prominence. Um, and again, this, this facility in West Virginia, the Trans-Allegheny, uh, that was originally designed to hold 250 people. Um, but, you know, every, every year after that, or every decade after that, the numbers just kept increasing, increasing. And that's get, where it gets really and that's where disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where we uh, enter... Uh, enter Mr. Um, uh, Dr. Walter Freeman. Now, Dr. Walter Freeman. Um, he was a doctor. You'll see. He was a doctor. He was absolutely a medical doctor. That's what I'm saying. When you hear the doctor will see you now, that's when you're really, st that's when this shit really starts getting scary. Well, shit. Um, <laughs> but um, again, this, this uh, facility in West Virginia was designed to hold 250 people in the initial design. Under the uh, under the Kirkbride uh, plan, if you will, um, but it soon the numbers soon swelled that that single person to a single room. Uh, forget about that, because by the time this place uh, became so overcrowded that by the 1950s there were 2,400 patients. Just to, to remind the listeners at home, how many people originally? <laughs> 250. And how many we get up to? Uh, 2,400. So virtually 10 times the amount that it was really designed for. To quote uh, Tracy Morgan from 30 Rock, at a zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at a zero. Uh, the hospital's main building, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful facility on the outside to look at it. Um, its main building was claimed to be one of the largest hand-cut stone masonry buildings in the United States, only second worldwide to a building that you might have heard about uh, in Russia, uh, the Moscow's Kremlin. <laughs> it's the only one that exceeds it in hand-cut stone. Uh, you know, to add to the spookiness, when this thing was first built in, eight, in, in the 1860s, um, they used prisoners initially to start the construction and then later on they brought in stonemasons from uh, germany and, and ireland so, so that program was called a habitat for inhumanity <laughs> there you go there you go so you got prison laborers starting this so i mean there's a whole spooky kind of a thing that you know people are working on the building that didn't want to be there and were probably mistreated to begin with but uh, overall, you know, by, by the 1880s, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful facility. It's got a 200-foot-tall uh, center clock tower, which was completed in the 1870s. Um, and you'll be, be happy to know that, uh, you know, the, again, the, uh, the forward thinking of this whole thing, there were separate rooms for um, people of color that was completed in 1873. They were still segregated, but at least we are now – having some type of state facility um, for that. I mean, that to the time, I guess, is is cutting edge. Um, but as we say, the uh, the 250 patient uh, in their own private rooms, that went out the window. Um, 
and then by uh, the 1930s uh, through the through the late 40s into the 50s, now we're up to 2,600. You know, ten times what was originally uh, uh, put in there. Who was in there? Um, well, you might be put into this facility because you're an epileptic. Uh, nothing to do with mental health. You might be an alcoholic. You might be a drug addict, or the term was non-educable mental defectives. And again, that's using the terminology of the time. <laughs> you call somebody today a mental defective, I think there might be some uh, a black eye. <laughs> <laughs> there might be there might be some uh, some problems with that. But uh, triggered. Again, you have this huge overcrowding, and not just at the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, but all over. Um, and we're starting to come into um, this whole uh, human. Uh, psychosurgery that can we possibly cure somebody's um, mental illness through um, uh, a surgical procedure? Uh, we don't have the uh, pharmacology that we have today back uh -huh. then, so you can't just give them uh, give them some drug and, and down them out to to calm them down. So if somebody was uh, violent or uh, just difficult to handle. Um, you might be um, you might be seeing Doctor Doctor Freeman. Uh, um, this Walter Freeman, Doctor Walter Freeman, was a neurologist. He was not a neurosurgeon, but he enlisted the help of other neurosurgeons, specifically this guy James Watt. Uh, he had performed some lobotomies. Now, a lobotomy initially was they're going to drill two small holes into your head. Ugh. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, I mean, if you were given that classification, if you will, you might be taken against your will. They're going to drill two small holes into your head and they're going to probe in there and they're going to try to sever the, uh, the nerves from to the frontal lobe of your, of your brain to kind of calm you down a little bit. Um, and then Dr. Freeman, he takes this up to another stage where he formulates this new procedure. Um, so he's been performing lobotomies now for about 10 years. But of course, this Dr. Freeman, he's, he's one of the best. He's world renowned. Uh, and he's going about and he's a bit of a showman but at the same time too, that he's performing these things almost as if he's on stage. And it's not being performed in a in a surgical procedure, this is, you know, let's lay this guy down on the table and we'll, uh, we'll see if we can't help him out. Nice. Um, and he is now, um, he's now performing um, this new procedure where it's a transorbital lobotomy. Now, a transorbital lobotomy, what is that, you might say? Well, basically, you're taking a pick and putting it into your eye socket and pushing up under the eyeball until you meet a little resistance and then give, oh. that a, give that a smack with a hammer to break through the soft spot in the skull and then you're, you're pithing. <laughs> pithing, good word, good word, I like that. <laughs> you're pithing around in there to, uh, um, to dislodge the, uh, the nerve to the, uh, to the lobotomy, to the <laughs> frontal lobe, I should say. Uh, this quickly became known as the ice pick, ice pick lobotomy, uh, whole new, whole new, um, whole new procedure. Uh, and you're severing the connections to the prefrontal cortex 
is what you're what's going on with this whole ice pick um lobotomy i mean in theory <laughs> in in theory yeah now uh this transorbital lobotomy method uh it didn't really require a neurosurgeon and could be formed outside of an operating room without the use of anesthesia so good they, lo- no so they yeah they're not even putting the guy out they're just strapping him down and uh, just a little let's pin go for free. <laughs> see I've, oh my God, I've I've known about lobotomies for a couple of years now because of like paranormal shows where they're always like, it's so fucked up and all this shit, which it is. Today, the day we are recording this is the first day I found out that they did that shit without no anesthesia. And I have never been more creeped <laughs> out in my... <laughs> well, there you no, go. And then this Trans-Allegheny... Uh, uh, asylum or the Western, as it became known as the Western State Hospital, um, they performed hundreds, if not thousands, of these. Um, after four decades, Freeman himself had personally performed possibly as many as 4,000 lobotomy surgeries in 23 states. Because again, this guy was the traveling minstrel show. He went around from state to state to various mental hospitals. And all of these facilities are completely overcrowded. It wasn't just uh, Western State Hospital that was overcrowded. All of these facilities were bursting at the seams. So, hey, if you could uh, do a, a quick little procedure um, and and help calm this. Hang on, hang on. There's a hammer. Okay. <laughs> An you, ice pick. You're jamming the hammer into something in front of people, right? Because he's doing these procedures to an audience. Yep. He's traveling around. To, is he also wearing a green striped shirt and suspenders? Because I'm pretty sure Gallagher 3 has a, a, you go. a lot of watermelon lesson. on the side. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if anybody who's seen the movie, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, that was a mental facility. That was also part of the uh, Kirkbride plan. That, that facility, that's where they filmed in one of the Kirkbride um, designed uh, facilities um, for Cuckoo's Nest. But there was a... Uh, a rather uh, gruesome scene within that movie where um, the Indian, the, the chief is uh, going to have a uh, lobotomy performed on him and is also uh, uh, the main character at the end of the movie. You mean R.P. McMurphy? <laughs> McMurphy, yeah. Um, uh, they say lobotomy, but it's actually, uh, I, I believe it's the, the uh, electroshock therapy. He gets. Electroshock they, therapy. They hit him enough where he's pretty much a vegetable. Right. And yeah. again, at the time, that was... Uh, that was um, you know, cutting edge. That was a, a, a known for an, and a common procedure to help treat uh, um, mental illness. Medication um, time. Uh, oh, yeah, and there was um, yeah, and one time in 1951, this Doctor Freeman, who's a pretty scary dude, just reading about this shit. Um, in 1951, one patient at the Iowa's Cherokee Mental Health Institute died when Freeman suddenly stopped for a photo op during the procedure. So, I mean, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't all about making people better. He was all about himself. Um, and he stops for this photo procedure and the surgical instrument that he was using, the ice pick, accidentally penetrated too far into the patient's brain. Holy shit. Uh, oops, sorry about that. You know, But we did have a photo op there that we had to take care of. Oh. Freeman wore neither gloves nor mask during these procedures. He lobotomized 19 minors, including four, including a four-year-old child. So uh, 
Dr. Mengele comes into, into mind with, the, with this freaking well, it, guy. It really makes you wonder what the hell's going on with the mother of that four-year-old where it's like he just won't listen. So, Yeah, well, you know, at the same time. Try time out. Jesus. Yeah. Um, Kids today. There, I mean, you talk about what was going on with the mother at that time. Uh, Dr. Freeman also has a pretty noteworthy uh, connection to the Kennedy family. Um, here it comes. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, let me find my notes here because I got to rustle some papers, of course, for that. No but, worries. Well, there's a, a very famous uh, name. It's kind of a, the, the hidden child of the Kennedy family. I believe it's Rose Kennedy that you're talking about, Dad. Uh, Rosemary. Rosemary Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, Go ahead and illuminate us here. No, it was just that um, the Kennedy family is just – overwhelmed or <laughs> you take them about one one of the most famous families in US history is probably the Kennedy family and Papa Joe Kennedy was a uh, a diplomat he was he was a heavy hitter he was a bootlegger a boot, well <laughs> yeah he made his money in various various avenues but very famous had a lot of kids uh, with Rose Kennedy his wife um, the oldest was was uh, Joe Jr. So you got Joe Kennedy Sr. He's the big shot. He's the the head of the clan, if you will. Joe Jr. dies tragically in World War II. Um, his his next in line is um, John F. Kennedy, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, who nearly dies in World War II with PT one hundred and nine. And there's a there's a lot of other siblings. Uh, Ted Kennedy, of course, uh, became a U.S. senator. Um, Robert Kennedy um, was running for um, for president when he gets assassinated. John Kennedy gets assassinated. But anyhow, there was also a younger sister who was born in 1918 in the height of the um, Spanish flu epidemic Ooh. that everybody is tying in with, you know, or at least – paralleling to what we're going through right now with COVID, that the Spanish flu uh, back in 1918. So hospital medical staff was completely overwhelmed. Um, um, the mom goes into labor and the doctor is not present. So whoever is assisting her in the birth kind of um, slows down the birth of this child by not allowing the baby to come down the birth canal. And they they suspect that- What, you just Mikembe Tumbo it? They were, yeah, there was some- No, 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 not today. <laughs> no, keep, keep your legs closed and, and push back into the birth canal type of a thing. There was some oxygen uh, deprivation in that uh, instance until the doctor arrives kind of a thing. And um, she was developmentally challenged, if you will, right from the get-go. But- the Kennedys at that time, again, um, you know, mental health issues that nobody wanted um, anybody else to know. You, you can't let this secret out, if you will, that you might have a child that is somewhat um, not up to the Kennedy standards. Very competitive family. Very competitive family. Oh, so you're also talking some of the, the one of the early heights of eugenics at this time frame. Going yep, on and, and that certainly does come into into play. That um, um, you know, 
Joe Sr. is grooming Joe Jr. to become the, you know, the next president. Of course, unfortunately, he gets killed uh, serving his country in World War II. So the next in line is, is John. Um, and when they're grooming John to become presidential uh, candidacy, they don't want any idea or, or um, influence that, you know, there's something wrong with the Kennedy family because, look, they have this one child that's developmentally uh, slower. And so they kind of put her away into private schools and that type of a thing. But at the age of uh, she's now 23. She's gone th through school. She's been um, Joe Senior. It goes over to England as as the ambassador to England. So now we're into the 1930s. Um, she seems to be uh, perfectly uh, fine. That she's you know has gotten her her life together and is is um, coming coming forth with some. Uh, I don't want to say normalcy, but, you know, she's she's doing all right for herself. Um, but then things start heating up with Germany and they pull the family back out of England because of what's going on in Europe with the rise of uh, Hitler's Germany. Uh, they come back to the United States um, and she starts to become a, a bit of a, a wild child, if you will, that, again, I think Joan Sr. does not want any bad press coming up coming about because of this one uh, Kennedy uh, offspring. So they kind of lock her away. And then Joe Sr. gets the uh, gets wind of what's going on with our, our good Dr. Freeman, that there's a possibility for a cure for this, that uh, he would be able to take away the wild child anything. Well, the long and the short of it is Dr. Freeman performs a lobotomy on John Kennedy's sister, and it doesn't go well. Um, well, yeah. it goes a little bit better than her <laughs> it, it, brother's car ride. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, it, it was a, a sad state of affairs that um, the lobotomy is not successful. And she is basically now has to learn how to walk, talk. Um, you know, care for herself, uh, bathroom, uh, everything else. That uh, and, and she is literally locked away out of sight of uh, any press, even to the point where her her own mother does not know where exactly she's at. That doesn't happen until years later, like twenty years later, before Mama Rose actually pays the visit to her to her daughter, um, who is institutionalized at this particular point in time. Um, the rest of the family really didn't know. I mean, Joe Sr. kept this as a secret and where where she was being uh, institutionalized. And as I say, it doesn't come to the to the family's knowledge until years later. But it's it's attributed to her other sister and for John Kennedy that when he was president, um, he, he knows by now what happened to his sister, that she had this lobotomy performed on her. And he starts to sign legislation to help with uh, some mental health issues, which later um, progressed into the uh, Americans, Americans with Disability Act. So John Kennedy is really kind of cutting edge on the political side to, uh, to help out with mental health issues. And John's other sister, 
really is the one that starts the whole um, Special Olympics kind of a thing. So they're starting to make programs and trying to pass legislation to help help people with who have might have some uh, mental health issues. But uh, good good Dr. Freeman, uh, you know, as I say in his in his career. Um, he's probably performed over 4,000 of these uh, ice pick and frontal lobe uh, lobotomies. And uh, Is it true that he did the 4,000th one on live television in front of a studio <laughs> audience? Yeah. Now from uh, Trenton State Psychiatric Hospital. No, it, uh, but he had about a 15% uh, death rate too. So, I mean, this guy. He was not. Uh, he was not. His batting average was not real good with these lobotomies, and uh, it's no wonder that finally, after after years later, that lobotomies were pretty much uh, outlawed. <laughs> finally, live from Weston, it's Lunatic Live. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It, it really is a, a bizarre situation where something that can be seen as progressive for its time is uh, actually so barbaric. See, so. wait. You said fifteen percent. Death rate, right? So his his batting average ain't all that great. No, but no, like, not at all. And that that's the death rate. The success rate was you know abysmal. Um, that's only you know you survived the surgery, but you're now a vegetable. Um, was there ever any sort of positive science towards lobotomies, or did we just conclude that no? Well, my cousin who's a phrenologist actually says that uh, it does work out. By the way, uh, phrenology, the uh, study of bumps on the head to dictate behavior types. Okay. Yeah, that's a bunk science. <laughs> yeah, but if you put a doctor in front of his name, everybody, uh, and you wear a white coat, all of a sudden now you're uh, you're you're believable. Um I think initially there was some successes with with the lobotomies, and that's why everybody was hoping for something that we might be able to do. And again, you have no pharmacology that's going to to help these poor people at this time, other than uh, you know give them some cocaine and uh, go sit in the corner someplace. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, we were very limited as to what what might uh, might be done to to help. So anybody that comes along with even a glimmer of hope. Um, you're you're gonna you know people are gonna jump at it that uh, they're gonna rush to you. I mean, if Joe Kennedy with all of his money is seeking this guy out to perform that on his on his uh, eldest daughter, uh, you know that that gives you a sign that you know people were desperate and desperate times uh, call for desperate measures. Yeah, so. that's some uh, some steep clientele right there. Yeah, you know, when the Kennedys are coming looking for you, right? Jeez, absolutely brutal though, man. The uh. But wow. uh, you know that's that's just a good doctor. But the the batting average of what was going on at at this facility, uh, the um, the transatlantic not transatlantic. Listen to me, transatlantic. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. That's bad if it's a traveling that, lunatic asylum. Yeah, and <laughs> being in the spirit of Halloween, which is which we are. I mean that place. There's all kinds of ghosty goblin kind of things floating around that place because uh, because of the the extreme overcrowding. I mean, there was murders. Um, one one uh, patient is killing another. Uh, there was one guy that they say is now haunting that place because he had his uh, his head crushed by uh, two other in not inmates but two other um, patients, patients. <laughs> two other patients that smashed his head in using a, a metal cot 
to uh, smash his head in. There's, there was some of the staff that turned up missing and were found uh, nine days later under a stairwell with the with the rotting corpse. That's how they found them. Um, there was all, all kinds of things going on there. Now, if you want to go visit the Trans-Allegheny <laughs> Lunatic Asylum, um, that w- it was shut down and it was really by a number of different um, newspaper exposés um, to kind of let you know what's going on in there that eventually the governor shut the thing down um, and then it was later sold to a, uh, a private um, a private holder that uh, they are now running um, they're running tours in this place. Of uh, course they are. <laughs> so, and being October, I mean you want to jump on on that and go through the uh, go through that facility They'll, they have various tours and everything else on there. Um, it's, uh, 242,000 square foot building. So it's not any small place. And, uh, a gentleman, um, by the name of Joe Jordan, um, um, is now in the process of, um, trying to fix up some of the place and some of it has already been fixed up. But again, if you want to, uh, have a really good, uh, you know, family trip to, uh, (laughs) <laughs> celebrate Halloween, that might be something you might want to think about. And the doctors who would wear no gloves whatsoever would then ram a rod into your mask on, please. Mask, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Well, that's a brutal one. Anything else you want to say on the way out on that? Because we do have a couple other ghost stories. No, I, yeah, that's, uh, I thought that was scary enough. But uh, again, the doctor will see you now. <laughs> uh, better living through chemistry. Well, uh, Kahuna, here's an interesting part of the episode for you, buddy. So I'm going to pitch these uh, ghost stories that I've collected, if you will. Okay. Um, my father does not know them. Okay. And uh, I don't think you'll know them either. I was not aware of these particular characters from history. But mm-hmm. uh, let's see. It looks like I got one, two, three, four, five. I got six of them. So we'll, we'll vote on them uh, to figure out who we want to place where and maybe what would have a movie made about them and stuff like that. Who's worthy? Yeah. Um, okay. So it's not so much a casting gouge as it is pick the filmmaker. <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting. I like that. We can run with that one here. I'm going to start off. Uh, the first story I've collected here is uh, a ghost by the name of Agnes of Glasgow, as in uh, Scotland. So Agnes is a Scottish woman who stowed away on board a ship to America in order to be with her lover, who was a British lieutenant fighting the colonials in South Carolina. She arrived in South Carolina, and when she attempted to find her lover, whom she had heard may have been injured out in the woods somewhere, um, she actually uh, was walking through the South Carolina wilderness. Not really safe to do nowadays, (laughs) okay? Um, Let alone back then, she will become ill and dies before ever reaching her lover. She is buried under cover of darkness by a local native chief and American Indian legend, guy has the coolest name around. I have every Native American chief I've ever heard of. This guy has the coolest name. You know who it is, Dad? No, I don't. King Hagler. Hagler? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep, King Hagler. I'll give you 15 for that. <laughs> That's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but I'd t- I'll take it. King Hagler, baby. What a cool name. Apparently, he's a real guy as well. Uh, very cool. Might get his own episode one day down the road. Okay. But uh, they do say that the ages and the date range don't match up for him to have actually known this particular Agnes of uh, 
Glasgow. That's our details. It's still a good story. Well, that's a, that is a funny thing when it comes to the ghost stories. They're just like, well, listen, I mean, I'm trying to land this plane, kid. Don't get me. Yeah. Let's not get bogged down in details. Now, where do they think she, where does she haunt? Well, her ghost can be seen still searching the woods of uh, the South Carolina area, uh, mostly near Camden, Camden, South Carolina, as she still searches the woods looking for the British officer with whom she never was reunited. Mm. That, what do I think could do? horror movie based on that well, i'll tell you well uh, i'll pitch them because uh, some of them you might not want to do a movie for so find the one that jumps out of you the most but okay. that for your approval lost in the woods no, it's, it's right. there is no. agnes of glasgow agnes of glasgow agnes of glasgow now the next one here is a uh, black aggie is the name of this particular character uh when you hear black aggie kahuna what do you think <laughs> uh Died in a coal mining accident. That's a <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't get confused with Slag Pile Annie. <laughs> That's a true story. Slag Pile Annie is another ghost. Does not make my list here, but uh, she is literally just a woman who had a pile of slag fall on her in uh, somewhere near Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah. And uh, it was a creepy story where I guess some, some I want to say miners or maybe steel workers were speaking to this old lady. And uh, getting the whole story, and it's one of those ones where they go back and you know they say like, "Oh yeah, that lady was just over there." What what, what was her name again? Oh, Annie so and so. That that's sl- the woman who died. Slagpile Annie's been dead for <laughs> nearly eighty years. Yeah. Tell them Large Marge sent you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this black Aggie here is actually not a person. It's a creepy, creepy statue of a somber seated figure covered in a shroud. It is. Uh, it used to sit as a grave marker over uh, a famous Civil War general by the name of Felix Agnes. Okay, and uh, so this guy was also a bit of a sculptor during his time frame. So he's an interesting guy. And uh, whoa, yeah. So that's the uh, clearly Kahuna's sound is that he looked up what the statue oh, was. Oh, good lord! It's a little uh, intimidating. This looking statue over here. Um, there's no way you can throw that up on the TV or anything to show my father, right? I'm gonna figure out how to do it. You're the best. So that's Black Aggie now. And this statue is rumored to be haunted and have a life of its own. The local legends will always say that uh, no grass will grow near it. That the statue's eyes sometimes light up at night. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, that the eyes can Are follow they red? you. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Uh, so it looks like the, the, the dog things from uh, Ghostbusters. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And then they also say that uh, on the days or the nights when the dead of the cemetery all uh, rise from their grave, they all convene upon this one location. Like it's the the, the center of um, circle up on Black Aggie. Yeah. So just kind of picture a uh, circle. That's perfect. That really is perfect. So just picture Black Aggie speaking to an army of the dead. Can you dig it? <laughs> but. Another one of the uh, little things here was that if you sat in the lap of the statue, uh, it will actually allow spirits to visit you. So some people would want the spirits to visit. Other people would be like, oh, I dare you to go sit in the lap of that thing. And then when you get down, you're like, ha ha, you're going to be haunted for eternity now. So a little concerning here. But all of this, keep in mind, is in a cemetery. That's where the statue is. And it is technically a grave marker for a guy who passed away who was an American hero, mind you. So, yeah, now you said that the guy, the, the guy in the grave was a Civil War guy, and he was a sculptor himself. Yes, he was. And did he sculpt Black Aggie I, I don't, on his own on his own grave? Like he did this ahead of time and saying, "Hey, this is the this is the this stone is I want." Even creepier, <laughs> yeah. even creepier. I like that. That's um, 
Well, he, the whole family was actually horrified by this thing because the family started to get nervous. We're like, well, we're, we're just trying to have a final resting place. These local legends are turning this place into a right. fucking party. You talk about rest in peace and uh, not so much. Yeah. Well, they actually wound up having to remove the statue because too many people were trying to do break-ins to it. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure some Ferrari, uh, sorority uh, or something like that would have like an event there or something like sure. that, you know, but a little bit terrifying, man. So that is uh, that statue, by the way, uh, it, it was too creepy. And uh, so, you know where they, they moved it to, Dad? Hmm. Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. There was a lot of creeps there already. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who's fit right in. who's right. handling Black Aggie? Top men. <laughs> who, who, who is it, though? Top men. <laughs> that brings us to uh, the next one here. This is going to be, uh, this is my favorite out of all of them here because uh, I don't think you can make a movie about this guy, Kahuna, but I, I think you'd like to. So now last week we did the uh, the horrible, horrible story of Mr. Albert Fish. Ooh, mm-hmm. ooh, man. Yes, who was known as the Gray Man. The Nightmare King? Oh, he is. Uh, now, <laughs> yeah. this guy is also known as the Gray Man, but he's actually kind of cool. Um, this Gray Man appears in uh, Pauly's Island in South Carolina, and apparently he always has a way of knowing. <sighs> yeah, so... Uh, for those who are just, uh, I'm sorry, it's an audio only show. It just is what it is. But that's the Black Aggie um, just statue. Just look it up. Just look it up. Throw yeah. it a quick go because when you look at it, it kind of looks like um, the uh, the ring wraiths from uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh. Right. I it looks like a it. Death Eater from Harry Potter. Uh, see, I, I wouldn't know those. Um, that's oh my god. That is a creepazoid. But yeah, for sure. you don't want to. Uh, you don't want to be doing that when there's no face whatsoever. Um, it, it's just. Uh, it's all around horrifying. But then there's uh, this guy, the Gray Man of South Carolina, Paulie's Island, South Carolina. This guy, uh, he's got a way of knowing. They always say that the joke is about the Carolinas is if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. You know, um, so the weather gets a little bit ridiculous down there. So the Gray Man of South Carolina and Paulie's Island, back in the 1920s. A uh, young man was on his way to see his fiance on the island, Paulie's Island. During his trip, the quicksand like mud, quicksand like mud. So it's mud that is similar in consistency and uh, uh, activity to quicksand. <laughs> it's actually going to get, uh, it's found there on the island. It catches up to him. And this poor guy and his horse actually wind up getting uh, uh, pulled into it. And the two of them will die. And here's the thing, though. The man was actually seen again. Just a few years later in 1822, a gray man with seemingly no legs appeared to be haunting the shoreline of the island. His presence and sightings have become known as indicators of a coming storm. So now when you see the gray man, you know that the, the hurricanes are coming. <laughs> Batting down the hatches. Last and reported one was before Hurricane Florence. Which is ridiculous, right? So, because um, what was that? The most, that's 2011 then, right? 2018. 2018, yeah. So they reported had, having seen him here. The gray ghost arrives. To, he gives warnings to others who might be in harm's way. Wow. That's kind of like uh, the Irish banshee that when the banshee shows up, you know somebody of uh, note is going to die. Exactly. And this is a, this is a, Similar situation that when the gray man shows up, get ready for a storm because it's a coming. And some people say if they see the gray man, that means their house might be spared. So that they think that he maybe is looking out for people. So it's kind of a, a cool, maybe a benevolent spirit. Oh, okay. Here. So you want the gray man in your front yard that you can at least prepare for the storm, but maybe yeah. your house will still yeah, be Maybe also get off the, the island. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. You're right. 
Maybe it's time to go visit the relatives. So that brings us to another one here. This one's a good one. All right. They're all I good I like ones. the gray man. It's a nice little horror story. He's kind of cool, right? Yeah. I, I dig that story. Um, I, I like that one. Uh, the idea of a, a spirit showing up and warning you of stuff is always kind of cool. Yeah. This one is a little more on the nose with that. Have you ever heard of the Greenbrier ghost? Yeah, but I don't know the full story. Yeah, I, I think I might have heard about Greenbrier, but I'm it's not. It's pretty good. Yeah. In uh, 1896, West Virginia, there's a Born young- and raised. <laughs> on the playground is where he spent most of his days. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> you couldn't help. No, I understand. <laughs> I couldn't not do it. Well, this woman's got an interesting name. Zona Heaster is her name. And uh, she will marry a local blacksmith whom she fell in love with. Uh, just a few months after their marriage, though. Um, it's no typhoid Mary, but I like the name. No, it's it's up there. It's uh, yeah. But poor Zona, she winds up dead. Okay, just a few months after being married, she's found dead in her home. The cause of death is listed as childbirth. Yeah, you could still, I mean, it, it still is possible now to die during yeah. childbirth, which is crazy. But um, that, not super uncommon back then, but this is just a couple of months into their marriage, man. And this absolutely devastates the mother. I mean, what mother is not going to be uh, beside themselves knowing that uh, their daughter died giving birth, trying to become a mother as well? So brutal, brutal uh, set of circumstances here. And it absolutely devastates the mother. But did the child have cloven hooves? <laughs> this is not the Leeds family double, oh. sir. <laughs> <laughs> we already recorded that one. Check yeah. it out. A, <laughs> I do believe that uh, that the child also passed, unfortunately. Um, you'll see why here in a second. So uh, this devastates uh, the mother. Um, I mean, she's just in a, a state of shock and grief nonstop. And uh, it keeps happening over and over again that at night she has this recurring dream that uh, Zona's ghost is appearing to her by her bedside and keeps trying to tell her something. So almost like a, a David Lynch Twin Peaks kind of a thing here. You know, she knows who killed her. She says, uh, it was not childbirth. My husband killed me. My husband murdered me. And she's telling this, the ghost of a fallen daughter telling her mother this. And the mother, she believes it, you know, and she goes, she got, I have this recurring dream. I got to go do something about this. And so finally, she actually gets uh, the authorities to even uh, exhume the grave, if you will. And they take a look and they give a mo much more thorough autopsy. And this time during the autopsy, they realize that her neck had actually been broken. And I don't know much about how you have babies. But <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to assume breaking your neck and passing one is going to be a little bit of a, uh, a stretch there. How did they miss that the first time? I think they just weren't looking for it is what it was. It could just be an open and shut case. Oh, she died during childbirth or whatever. But huh. uh, what's this one called? So that's the Greenbrier ghost. And uh, they did see that her neck had been broken. Her husband is then arrested and he will die in prison. The only witness to his crime, the victim herself. Where did he go to prison? <laughs> Does it say? It did. I didn't pull that part up, actually. I should have. I think I was probably shaking as I was writing yeah. this one at this point. <laughs> at some point, if I, you know, loser devotees know uh, my good buddy Andy High Roller. I believe I had to get out of the house and drive around and call him just to talk to him real quick. Just to get out of the house. Meanwhile, you're reading about this uh, while you're down in the new house with Whoa. Oh, no yeah. internet. Okay. All right. No internet. It, it's pitch black. Empty it's house raining outside. And a storm. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. That? Perfect. I feel like we should turn the lights down low here in the studio and maybe put a little campfire in the center. Mm -hmm. 
get things going here. Get the theremin ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got one more uh, good ghost story I want to throw your way. Um, you've heard of the gray man, Albert Fish. You've heard of the gray man of South Carolina. We're now going to mention uh, the green man. Not green man is in uh, Charlie Day from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> green man. Uh, this guy is going to be uh, by the name of Raymond Robinson. And uh, Kahuna, go ahead and just uh, Google Raymond Robinson, the green man. And I'll tell the story of uh, this poor soul. So the green man was. Uh, oh, oh, I know this one. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this dude. Yeah, the green man, also known as Charlie No Face. Um, fascinating guy here. Uh, the rumor was that uh, I believe he was burned so badly. Uh, via an electrical burn that uh, he pretty much didn't have a face. Um, he also had green tinged skin towards him. And uh, he was pretty much, uh, he looks like it's a terribly, horribly disfigured guy. And unfortunately for him, uh, you know, he knows that he's aware that he looks this way and that it's very frightening and jarring to the people who uh, I think he lives somewhere near um, Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And anyway, uh, he was pretty much um, aware that it was going to upset people if they saw him. So what does he do? He kind of becomes a recluse, stays inside all day. But you can't stay inside all day. You got to get your walks in, right? So what does this guy do? Out of the kindness of his heart, he waits until it's nighttime and then goes out on long walks around the area. Well, just imagine you're stumbling home one night, uh, you know, maybe you rented a, a scary movie and then you're going to walk home, cut through the woods. Those are always the most intense walks home, right? After you see a scary movie and you're That's waiting for... That's why you don't cut through the woods. <laughs> yeah, you're take waiting. the long way over the overpass. Yeah, you're waiting for Michael Myers or, uh, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger or Jason or Hillary Clinton, any of the big murderers out there. <laughs> you, know, you don't know who's coming for you, right? Who do you lose sleep over the most? And uh, I'm just, I'm telling you, if I was walking home from my good pal, uh, Charlie Curcio's house, Charlie who's been on the show. Uh, big, big fan of Kahuna, by the way. So if I'm uh, I'm walking home from his house, even though it was only about a block away, Dad. Right. And I saw this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who's Feet got, don't fail me now. <laughs> boom. Green tinge skin due to the electricity and a completely, yeah. I mean, if they, these and are really black no and white photos and they don't even, it looks like, it looks kind of like the faces look in um, the movie The Ring when you get uh, the, you've. You watch the videotape and then your face shows up differently in the thing. It kind of looks like that. So it's a very strange kind of inverted face here. And this was a real dude. This isn't like a legend. This no, was no, just, this, was... this was a real guy. And a lot of people, they said, were uh, horrified because they'd heard the story for forever. And then they find it like, oh, that guy lived down the road from me. That was a real dude. Raymond. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it'd be wild if he was the everyone in the Loves Raymond. Uh, <laughs> that's. And now let me guess, after his passing, people still see him, right? Uh, that I didn't find any uh, any conversations about, but it was just the idea that you'd be seeing this guy maybe out your window one night. I mean, that would spook the shit out of you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would be a little nervous. And I'm kind of that way, too. When I meet someone with like a disfigurement or something like that, you always try to pretend you don't see it, but you clearly do. All right. And then most of those people, they're, they have a sense of awareness about it, too. This guy was trying to be a good guy. And he goes, I'll just wait till it's nighttime to get my exercise. Meanwhile, he scares the bejesus out of everyone in the neighborhood. If you happen upon him, yeah. He's blind, no? I didn't see any eyes for him to be able to see out of. So, I, so I'm like, damn, you must really be knowing your neighborhood, man. <laughs> 
Oh my god, this is wild. Yeah, that's uh, the green man, a real real human being. I've seen this picture circulate online, and I never looked into it just because I was like, that looks fake. But to know that there's some truth to it. Yeah. Ah, oh, man, that's sad. Yeah, local legend of the Pittsburgh. I wonder if, because um, we got a couple of listeners out that way. I think uh, we ask a... James Stiffy, if he knows about this guy. What would you do if you went through that tunnel and you saw that? Well, first of all, I ain't going near that tunnel. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Now, those are the three stories. So those are uh, those are the stories that we're going to go. We had the, the Gray Man of South Carolina, Black Aggie. Now, Black Aggie is the creepiest uh, to me of the because the Black Aggie statue. When I saw that and was looking at it alone in the uh, the house, the dark house during the storm, that's when I was like, all right, we're going to have to take a walk real quick. <laughs> And then you come upon the green man. Oh, yeah. Well, the green <laughs> <laughs> New neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, Black Aggie, the, the statue the creeps original. me out the most. That's the original one. Yeah, very somber looking, very, uh, you know, looks like it could be up to no good. Um, but uh, my favorite story is the Greenbrier ghost. Yeah. Yeah, the Greenbrier one to me, that's an easy sell for a movie. Oh, yeah, from Beyond the Grave. Yeah. yeah. I think that that one... Uh, that one could be a really cool story from both, like from both sides of history. You could either do it where it's like an old school horror movie where it's set during the time period, or you could just take that premise and transport it to now. Because yeah. either way, you get a creepy ass movie by a mother's love that uh, she's able to get her what was her son-in-law convicted of uh, killing her daughter. It's well, again, there's some Twin Peaks stuff to that. You, you can see where these stories are good stories that got um, different uh, variations uh, taken from them and different little details right. here and there. What's the what's the Shakespeare story where the, the father, the ghost of the father visits? Well, that's Macbeth. That is like that has it has some weird Macbeth energy to it. Like in the I'm sorry, not Macbeth, Hamlet. Is that Hamlet? Yeah, because Hamlet. I'm sorry, I screwed up. Because Hamlet's um, father appears to Hamlet to tell him that he was killed by his uncle. Which, by the way, I did something the other day. I was pretty happy about this. This one kid at work. He's a good kid. He can be a little bit of a pain. He's a talker. He doesn't shut up. He just goes. I started watching Sons of Anarchy, and I was like, Oh, it's good. He goes, Yeah, you don't know how it's going to wind up. And I was like, Yeah, I mean, it's Hamlet, so you know how that works. He goes, Hang on, what's Hamlet? <laughs> and I said, Hamlet no. was a Shakespeare thing. He goes, Ah, oh, I wouldn't know that. And then I was like, Well, did you ever see The Lion King? And he goes, He goes, Yeah, of course, that's the best movie ever. And I said, Yeah, that's Hamlet. You're, you're seeing Hamlet. And he goes, Oh, wait, are you telling me that? Oh, and I, I realized I spoiled the entire Sons of Anarchy show for him <laughs> <laughs> by teaching him his life is actually less uh, satisfying. <laughs> but. Yeah, uh, the, uh, Macbeth is actually does have ghosts in it as well. Because um, with uh, the Macbeth one, I think he sees the floating hands that he used to murder the king. Just like it's it's such an eerie story because like because even in my th that one, I actually besides the murder aspect, freaking that one, I actually kind of have a weird personal relationship towards that story. No, hear me out. My my uh, my grandfather had passed away before I was born way before I was born on my dad's side. And one night, like before they found out he had passed away, one of my uncles woke up to him, what appeared to be him sitting in his usual chair. And, but he wasn't saying a word. He was just sitting there in the dark. And then he was like, 
just went back to bed and then woke up again, wasn't there, but got the phone call that he was gone. Oh, wow. So I'll do it. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, I've, I've heard other, other people talk about like final visitations of, of loved ones before yeah. they find out that they truly had passed on. It's uh, you got any ghost stories of your own here, Lawrence Patrick? Uh, I'm not, I really didn't come prepared to, uh, I got another tell one. the fire <laughs> the campfire story, but, uh, yeah, there were, I, you know, there, a lot of this, a lot of these stories have a common thing. I mean, we talked about South Carolina. I'm sure that you're going to find a similar, um, ghost story or, or spirit story in other States that have a similar thing. I mean, it, that is a, a common, uh, you know, urban legend, if you will, that that's not just restricted to one particular area, that there's a lot of commonality around all of that. But um, the one that kind of creeped me out, too, was about, you know, it's a dark and stormy night, the whole the whole nine yards, and a guy's driving along through the fog and the mist and the haze and trying to get home safely, and driving conditions are terrible, and comes upon a curve in the road and sees a young girl in a in a long gown type of a thing, um, like a prom dress, if you will. And due to the rain and everything else, she's just completely saturated, drenched. Um, so he stops to see if he can help her, uh, assist her in some way. And, um, you know, rolls down the window and talks to her. And she agrees that, yeah, let me, let me give you a ride home. And um, she gets in the car. She's in the passenger seat. This is starting off as either a ghost story or bang bus. So keep going. <laughs> um, you know, and gives her, uh, gets her into the car. So, so she's at least out of the rain and the, and the inclement weather. And um, then takes directions from her to you know, turn here, turn there. And finally comes up to this um, lonely house uh, off the set back off the road. And he, you know, she says, we'll stop here in front of this house. And he gets out of the car to go around to try to open the door for her. I mean, we're, we're going back a number of years when the gentlemanly thing to do was to open the door for the, a female passenger. Um, so he goes around the back of the car to open up her passenger door to, to help her out. And she's not there. And then he then thinks, well, shit, she must have, she must have got out and ran, ran up to the house while I was coming around and I didn't notice with the rain and the fog and everything else. So he goes up to the, up to the front door onto the front porch of this, this house. Uh, there's no lights on or anything. And he starts banging on the door just to make sure that she got into the house safely and starts banging on the door and everything else. And then finally, after uh, a long period of time, um, an elderly woman answers the door, opens the door and said, you know, he explains what had happened, that he had given this young girl a, a ride home. And, and the woman in the, in the house, the elderly woman says, well, that was my daughter, but she died 20 years ago. I love that story. It's so creepy. I love it. <laughs> but there, but I've heard the same story, but the other variation, and this is the beauty of urban legends is that you hear 
any different interpretation and it's the person who told its own. So, but like my variation of that story was that no one answered the door and he left and the house was, the, it truly was abandoned. So he was like, okay, I'm out and dipped, but out of curiosity, looked up the address and it turned out there was a murder there and it was the girl he had driven there. Okay. Yeah. So there's variations Creepy. of it. I love right, it. Right. It's a Tom Waits song, actually, where he, it's, uh, I forget, it was called like a um, Locomotive Joe or something like that. And it was a Phantom Joe or something. And it's that uh, Tom Waits is down at a diner. And he goes, oh, you know, I got a got this coin given to me by this guy. I gave a, uh, gave me a ride into town. It was a Phantom Trucker or something like that. And he goes, uh, so I'm going to use this coin. By, and then it's a coin that everybody who gets visited by the spirit gets given. And then Tom Waits uses it to buy a beer <laughs> and they let him know that a, a ghost, you know, from another oh, dimension bought Phantom this 309. Phantom 309. That's a great song. That's a great story. That is literally ripped from, well, not ripped, but like that is word for word. The Pee Wee Herman <laughs> story from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Tell him large Marge sent you. <laughs> That's yeah. And I, you know, with all of this stuff too, I think there's something lost in, uh, today's generation where you're trying to um, get spooked up. People love to be scared. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's so terrifying, right? It makes no sense. That, you know, why do we have roller coasters? Because you like to get on something that in the back of your mind, you know this is safe. I mean, hundreds of people go through this a day and every, nobody's going to die by going on this roller coaster, but it's still going to scare the shit out of you. So, you know, Pay your money and stand online and wait to have the opportunity to have uh, have yourself horrified. Um, <laughs> and I think there's a lot to be said for telling this kind of a story within the right atmosphere that, again, going back to the campfire days, that if you're sitting around a wood fire at night in the woods, um, you know, no lights, there's no electronics, there's no uh, that kind of a thing. And somebody who really knows how to tell a tale can tell a tale. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> that, uh, I don't care how old you are. You know, there's a, a hint of believability. And that, I think, is key to any really story that, you know, everybody can put themselves into that same setting. You can believe you that. I, yeah, I remember one time I was driving home at night and it was a dark and stormy night and it was foggy and everything else. And it was, a, you know, treacherous to drive. And maybe it happened upon some poor unfortunate that, had a car, you know, their car failed or something like that. Or, you know, yeah. you can you can put yourself into that, and especially if you start to interject some local details. Like, yeah, I was I was driving down on uh, Chestnut Drive and, you know, I, you know, you can put some local um, believability to the whole thing, local yeah. spin on it. We and, have uh, Phalanx Road, Phalanx Road and Col Neck That'll take you right up to 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 Brookdale. Mm -hmm. That's allegedly has the same story of the girl, except okay. she won't get in the car. <laughs> She'll just stare at you. Nice. And I've had I've had a weird experience on that road too, because it's like I don't drive on it after a certain hour because I've gotten some weird vibes. So I just don't. <laughs> Good to know now after a couple of semesters over there driving around that road all the time at night. I got know. a I got two cool ghost stories. If you if you got the time, I think we do. I'll tell you, and we'll we'll send it home after this. Is obviously an offbeat episode here. We will get back to the regular history stuff coming up on Patreon, where you can join for just as low as three dollars a month and support the show. Um, we're over the hour, Mark. So I'll tell you what. Uh, how can you do them in? Uh, we'll do them in succession. 
Yeah, I could. T- you know, what? I'll just tell one because I already. Cause the, <laughs> I'll, ju- I'll tell you the one because it's it's my favorite. It's not scary. It's it's one of those uh, last visitation stories. And I don't know. I forgot if I had told this before, but if so, someone will correct me. But uh, I do. I work on music, and my dad was also a musician. So one night. This was after he'd passed away. I was working on music really late. It was like two in the morning, three in the morning. And my back, when I work on my computer, my to my ba- my door is to my right. And my bed is in the corner of my room. And I was working. And then all of a sudden I got that feeling, man. Yeah. You were being watched. And I, and I looked over and my door was closed. So I was like, that's even weirder. So I just was proceeding to do the work and I paused the music for just a minute and I heard and saw my bed compress like someone sat on it because oh, my old wow. mattress had springs so you could hear it. And I just remember looking over and there was the slight indentation of like somebody was there and I wasn't scared. I was creeped out, but I wasn't like scared because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it wasn't like a malicious feeling. It was just irksome because that's not supposed to be a thing. But it was either two people. It was either my dad or my uncle, who was also a musician. And both are in my house. So I, I had just – I wasn't like scared. But I, at the same time, I was like, Uncle John, Dad, if either of you were there, it's good to see you. Cool. This is the song I'm working on. I played it for like two seconds. And then I was like, hey, listen, I love you guys, but you are scaring the hell out of me right, <laughs> right now. Right. It's a little like, different. Yeah, yeah. Like, please know that I love you. I'm glad you're around. I'm glad you're here. I'm very sorry you had to watch me enjoy some kahuna time earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all good. All positive stuff. And then the feeling went away and my bed uncompressed. Like literally a moment after that happened, and I heard it uncompressed. I can't remember if you've told that one on air before. You've told me that one before. That yeah. was a pretty good one. That's yeah, <laughs> that's that's my that's my ghost story. Yeah, that hit home. Yeah. Well, a final visitation does always have to be a creepy thing too, because this was kind of a thing. So, um, my uh, my saint of a mother, Sandy Burke, she believes that cardinals um, uh, are a that's a spirit visiting you, someone checking in on you that passed away, mm-hmm. and so she believes that, and so. She'll see one, you know, up in the tree or something. Like, oh, it's uh, it's my dad, you know, coming to, to check on me. Going, Grandpa Marty, right? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, after um, my dog died, Ed, uh, all of a sudden, he and he was a, a slobbering seventy pound uh, bulldog, right? And uh, you know, we we lost him. Everybody was super depressed about it. And then a couple of days later, I'm out there and I'm I was uh, working out in the backyard, and I saw a uh, we'd never seen a cardinal that was kind of like chubby before <laughs> but a chubby cardinal shows up and i'm looking at it and I, I remember saying this to myself it was very very early i think it was the morning of carrie's wedding and i'm just sitting there i couldn't sleep the night before and i just remember looking over at him being like ed and then I'm, I'm not even kidding the cardinal just takes a giant shit <laughs> I'm like, it is him <laughs> there's your message <laughs> there's your son you know he's okay yeah he wanted to shit outside one more time That's how good boy he was. but i'll tell you guys what man this was fun this was a little bit offbeat if this is the first episode you've ever heard of this show um it's Sorry. not normally what we do it's uh, it's a little different here today but we will get back to the historical stuff we're going to cover the uh legend and also the the kind of shitty aftermath and really the start of revisionist history in america uh, and it's not the way you think it's going to go with uh, the the legend that is uh, Mr. Sam Adams. That'll be on Patreon. 
So go ahead and join us over on Patreon if you guys want to support the show. If you can't afford to do so, I understand. If you were a former Patreon member and you had to bow out for whatever financial reasons or you know you got frustrated with us or something, just let me know. We'll send some stuff out to you still, all right? Uh, we do have some patches. We got something uh, kind of cool being worked on. And uh, as I'm, I'm, as soon as I'm off the air here, I can actually, uh, I'm going to ask Kahuna to help me with this. Uh, the agreement is official. I, uh, I'll be signing with 800 Pound Gorilla Records, and they're going to be putting out my album Escape from Jacksonville, uh, recorded and filmed by one Christian Cordez, wherever he may be. <laughs> All right, uh, he's going to, you know, who's that exactly? And it was filmed over at the Smod Castle, uh, you know, Kevin Smith Universe, and it was uh, performed by some jerk. Okay, but we're going to be signing with them. They're going to be putting everything out, so it's going to change the timetable because I did promise. I think October. And November, we're going to be our original timetable. So we're going to you know, just shift that a little bit here. But Lawrence Patrick, anything you want to say to the folks on the way no, out? Just happy Halloween and uh, um, go tell a ghost story uh, amongst your friends. It's, a, the, right it's the time of year for that one. All this right. has been uh, the Halloween special of American Loser. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. Can loser the day I was born.